0: Welcome into the show, everybody. If you aren't aware, this is the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. Make sure to visit us on SoundCloud and on Apple Podcasts. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, coming to you on Sunday, October 8th, 2017, and I am joined by my buddy and fellow Land Grant contributor, Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, What's going on, man?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. I had a good day watching college football. Had some some fun upsets that we'll get into, but um, ready to talk about the Buckeyes.
0: Yeah, we are going to talk everything about Ohio State 62 to 14 win over Maryland. And before we get into the game, I want to get your feelings as to Ohio State football right now because. After that one, I am i don't know what it was about it because there was some ugly moments for sure that we'll get into. But I'm feeling pretty damn energized about the team right now. And I, I think this team is really in a good spot as we move forward into the tougher portion of Big Ten play after what we saw yesterday.
1: Yeah. And um in Bill Connolly's S&P Plus rankings that he released today, Ohio State was number one over Alabama despite you know the early season loss to Oklahoma and I think that that, I don't know if that's fair necessarily, but um, as he said in the article, Ohio State's played pretty much perfectly since that loss to Oklahoma and I think I agree with that and this was just another really solid performance and even if there was some kind of silly special teams mistakes and some, some penalties that may have not been penalties, but we'll talk about that. I think that I think that there's not really any reason for Ohio State fans to be upset about this, and the Buckeyes are playing really well.
0: Yeah, this is, I think, the best that they've played since, you know, late in that 2015 season when they beat Michigan and heading into that Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. But they're really on a roll right now. But let, let's get into the Maryland game, and, and where do you want to start with this? Because we could start with the offense, we could start with the defense that had a phenomenal game. Where, where do you think we should kick this off talking about what happened yesterday?
1: let's talk about um a guy who we we were we were defenders of from day one we we respect jt barrett and on this podcast we talk about jt barrett so let's let's talk about how good jt barrett looked yesterday
0: yeah jt barrett was on one yesterday looking at his line 20 of 31 passing for 261 yards and three touchdowns, and the thing that that most impressed me about what JT Barrett did yesterday is for the first time in a long time, maybe since the middle or late part of the 2014 season, we saw a variety of throws from him. For example, there was the the pass that he zipped to Johnny Dixon on the first drive for a 30-yard gain on third down to pick up a a very crucial first down on that first drive. And maybe, maybe that ball should have been picked off. I don't know, but that's a throw we haven't seen him make in the past. I have no idea how he got it in between those two defenders, but that was a nice throw. He also had the slant touchdown pass to Benjamin Victor that had a lot of heat on it. And uh, he also had a really nice touch pass down the sideline to Austin Mack in the second half as well, that he just kind of threw up there, let Austin Mack go make a play on it and get a, a first down and a big gain out of that he also ran for 59 yards on a di- on the day and a touchdown so I thought overall it was a really good game from JT Barrett and we saw a lot of different things from him there was a couple plays where I think it was the uh the pass to KJ Hill that Joel Klatt talked about where he didn't recognize that Hill was sitting down and he let him when he should have just thrown it right to him and stuff like that popped up a little bit but overall I thought it was a really damn good day for JT Barrett and uh, another step forward for the passing game
1: yeah, I thought he threw the ball with a ton of confidence, which we really haven't seen from him in a while. Um, you you mentioned that Johnny Dixon play early on in the game, that um I mean, we have not seen J T. Barrett throw into traffic, let alone that much traffic in I mean, since the two thousand fourteen campaign. And some some folks were upset about that thirty five yard first down, which is Kind of weird, but um, stop
0: being upset when <laughs> Ohio State does good stuff. Enjoy that, it. That first down wasn't nearly good enough,
1: but um, <laughs> no, I thought it was. I thought it was nice to see him taking risks with throws and seemingly trusting his receivers. Um, <clears throat> he threw the ball downfield a, a significant number of times, and he still doesn't have the you know Cardale Jones chucking it eighty yards down the field arm, but he looked he looked capable of running this offense and throwing whatever they needed him to throw. Um, he seems to be more and more confident in Benjamin Victor as a red zone target. Uh, Paris Campbell didn't, didn't have any drops and looks like another, you know, solid target for JT Barrett to throw to. And it looks like he's finally getting into a rhythm in this offense. And he's learning, learning how to almost relearning how to, how to throw the intermediate passing game. So it's really encouraging to see that.
0: I'm glad that you brought up Barrett taking risks and trusting receivers in particular, Benjamin Victor, because In the whole discussion of the passing game, I think it's gotten lost that one of the big issues has been Barrett's, I I guess, not inability, but his decisions just to not take any risks. And I I think that that's held the passing game back a bit. And we saw yesterday with that throw to Dixon and a couple of other ones that he's really starting to trust this receiving core. And Austin Mack and Victor, and especially those two guys— when it comes to just throwing the ball up and letting them make plays. Last week we talked about Victor and whether he was going to build off the Rutgers game and take another step forward into being that go-to receiver for the offense. And I I thought he did that really well yesterday. He had four catches for 55 yards and a touchdown. And it looks like he's taking that leap up into being the go-to guy for this offense when it comes to making a play getting a first down, making a play down the field, and he certainly has the talent for it. And Austin Mack as well, four catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. That was another tight window and a very good throw by JT Barrett, rolling to his left. The rollout to the left finally worked. Like <laughs> The first time That ever. was incredible. And uh, just as a short side note, one of uh, one of our followers on Twitter, uh, JD Wynn, brought up a good point to me that – That rollout to the left, they're still using it, and thank God that it finally worked, but I think at some point we're going to see a uh, a throwback option, which we've seen in the past. We saw it against Alabama in the playoff game. We saw it against Purdue, but it was to the right and throw back to the left to Jeff Hyrman in the 2012 overtime game, and that's a play we haven't really seen for a while from this offense, but I, I think... That's something to keep an eye on in a, in a crucial situation when they do that roll rollout is, is is a throwback option. So nice to see that play finally work. But overall, it, it was a good, great game from J T. Barrett and the receivers are finally starting to gain his trust. You brought up Paris Campbell. He's a very good option underneath. He uh, he had a really nice start to the game. He kind of didn't do much as the game went on, but on that first drive, he had at least a couple of catches, and he's a great option to uh, to move the sticks and get the ball out to in open space and let him just kind of do his thing.
1: Yeah, I um, I love the way that they used Paris Campbell for much of this game. Six receptions, 40 46 yards. didn't do didn't do a ton in the air, but he had that. Um, they ran that that reverse uh, to to I think it was Dobbins, and he handed it off to to Paris Campbell, and there was just a ton of space for Campbell to work he he had the ability to gain up that speed and he just I mean he he was gone he was untouched into the end zone and I think using him as an H back using him as an underneath threat is the best way to use his his ability because he's never going to be a true receiver but his his talent and his athleticism is just he's too talented to keep the ball out of his hands
0: Marcus Ball also jumped over a dude again (laughs)
1: Marcus Paul loves to jump over, dude. And
0: it's Maryland players. This is the second straight <laughs> year because he did it against them last year. And every, uh, when it comes to Ba, it's funny because I think the only time he really gets talked about is during those midweek press conferences from Meyer and he always kind of like takes these little jabs at him, like, "Oh, Marcus has all the potential in the world, and if he could put it all together." But I, but I think play it's plays like that where you really see like, "Man, this this kid could be really good." And I think that Marcus Baugh may be one of those dudes that he doesn't have a lot of numbers in college, but like two three seasons into the NFL, he becomes one of the ten or fifteen best tight ends in the league. And you're thinking like, "Where the hell was this dude in college?" But I, but I think that you know tight end really isn't ever going to be a focal point of the offense but to, to just have that sort of athleticism and to have that card in in their bag i think is is going to pretend well as as we head down the season yeah and as
1: you mentioned the the possibility for a for a tight end throwback um earlier yeah. marcus ball is perfect for that that's i mean that's the exact kind of player i want him running getting him in, in open space with his He's got long strides. He's, he's really athletic for a tight end. I, I'd really like to see that, and I'd like to see some tight end wheels from him because he's fun. They just – I don't know how much they like to use him.
0: We saw a wheel route to Mike Weber that gained 53 yards. That was a great design, and mm-hmm. getting into that, I want to get your thoughts on kind of the philosophy and is comfortability a word? I don't think it is, but we're going to talk about being comfortable within this offense, not only the players – but the coaches as well because i think that they're really starting to get to a point where it looks like they have an identity they know what they want to do they've opened up the playbook a little bit with that reverse play and a couple of other creative plays the wheel route to uh, to mike weber and they threw the ball 36 times and ran the ball 50 times but i think that's a little bit misleading because of garbage time because jt barrett threw 31 times yesterday and this kind of seemed like another game where they are dead set on getting this passing game where it needs to be when they play a team like penn state or like michigan state or like michigan
1: yeah i've really liked what i've seen from the offense play calling wise execution wise just in general the last few weeks there's been some kind of questionable calls with um with specific personnel, like J.K. Dobbins, running him directly up the middle on most of his runs seems a little ill-advised just because he's so good running to the outside, and it seems like Mike Weber might be a better fit for those for those straight up the middle runs. But for the most part, it does still seem like they're trying to just figure out exactly what they have, and as the season continue on, or continues on, it seems like they're learning more and more. We've seen them, I would say, improve offensively each of the last four weeks, uh, both just overall and in the passing game. And I think that that was this most recent performance was probably the best we've seen from JT Barrett this year in terms of just efficiency, willingness to take risks. And I mean, probably just throws in general. He had some really nice throws in this game.
0: Kind of a nondescript day for the running game. Mike Weber, 13 carries 59 yards and a touchdown. JK Dobbins, also 13 carries 96 yards and a touchdown. I I swear that we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Dobbins puts up the most quiet stats because I think if you asked anybody and said how many yards did J.K. Dobbins had, you would have said like ah 50, maybe 60, but this guy just gains yards every time he touches the ball, and it's not like he had one huge gain. His long was of 21, but he just continues to show that he's adept at moving the pile, getting yards, moving forward. And he also broke another Maryland dude's ankles yesterday. But I think that the big thing for the run game, and especially with those two guys in particular, is they're both healthy as we head into the tougher part of Big Ten play. And and that's, I think, the the best news.
1: Yeah, this backfield, fully healthy, is a lot of fun to watch, like we thought it would be. Um, J.K. Dobbins had a play that stands out specifically, um, in my mind, was the uh, the touchdown on the goal line where he a Miller to dude and just kind of yes. jumped all over the place and then extended from his usual five, nine to roughly seven feet long to dive into the end zone. Um, that play was kind of like, I, I think that that was pretty much what JK Dobbins is all about is, you know, he juked, juked a couple guys evades, moves around a bunch and then still finds a way to get yards. Even when it looks like he's trapped or he won't get there. And, yeah, I don't I don't know how he ended up with ninety-six yards. If I was asked before looking at these stats how many yards he got, I would have said probably probably about the same as Mike Weber got. He just he just picks up very quiet first downs. He just five, six yards pretty much every carry you can count on from him.
0: Yeah, that uh that dive into the end zone was crazy. If you guys know the Fantastic Four, he was looking like Mr. Incredible. The way that he was able to stretch out there and speaking of health. Uh, Some bad news, right guard Brandon Bowen is out for the season or probably will be out for the season with a broken leg he got rolled up on. We're definitely sending Brandon good vibes and hope that, uh, that he's able to recover very quickly. But as it pertains to the offensive line, what do you think this means? Because we've heard people chat about you know, moving Billy Price over to guard and and, and flipping Brady Taylor to center in his stead. What do you think Brandon Bowen's injury means for Ohio State, not only in their starting lineup, but as it pertains to their depth?
1: Uh, Well, my... My guess is that Matt Burrell will take over for um, for Bow and I think that that's probably the right choice. I would understand moving Price over and putting in Taylor because I think that the coaching staff trusts Taylor a little more than they do um, Burrell. But I think Burrell's really talented, and I'm not sure I'm not sure how high I am on the on the idea of moving a center out of the center position halfway through the season. I feel like that might break up the chemistry more than just putting in a different guard to to fill in for an injury.
0: What do you think about Ohio State's line six weeks into the season? Because I, I don't really think that they are at their best yet. Not that they've played bad or anything, but JT bailed them out a couple times on pass plays that he turned into runs. The one in particular he had a nice thirty yard gain that he got out of a sack. And Weber and Dobbins didn't have a ton of run or a ton of room to run
1: yesterday. I think for the most part, the offensive line has been improved, at least. Obviously, it's a bit of a low bar from last season. But um, the left side especially has looked really, really nice with uh, Michael Jordan and Jamarco Jones. Billy Price has been solid as ever. Um, Bowen had looked really good to this point. Isaiah Prince looks better than he did last year. Um, I think that it's a group that's going to just continue to improve, and that's how most offensive lines work. Obviously, they they got beat up a little bit against Oklahoma, and I don't think that that's entirely on them. But um, and their first, their first true trust since then will come in two weeks against Penn State, or three weeks against Penn State, obviously. But thus far, I think that they're fine. I think that they're doing, they're obviously doing enough that the offense can be successful. Um, they're not, they're not leaving JT out to dry very often. They're, they're giving enough space to the running backs. I think that they're, they're obviously de- a developing group, but right now, I think that what we've seen from them has been encouraging.
0: All right, let's talk about the defense because we always talk about them second and I feel like they get a raw deal, but wow, they were awesome yesterday. They didn't allow a completion until like 3 minutes left in the first half. At the end of the first half, Maryland had 26 plays for 28 yards. Folks, that's 0.9 yards per play. They weren't even gaining a yard per play, and the defense was flying around from the secondary to the linebackers to the defensive line and as great and as efficient as the offense was early on, I thought that the defense really set the tone for the game. And we look at these uh, these afternoon games at Ohio Stadium, and they all seem to kind of be a little bit listless, especially against an opponent like Maryland. But the defense, right from the jump, I think, really energized the team, really energized the crowd, and they brought it from from the go.
1: Yeah, the defense was just dominant. Maryland only has only had 66 total yards. They completed just three passes. Um, and if it wasn't for a, a garbage time touchdown and a, and a kickoff return, this would have been a shutout, and it probably should have been a shutout. Um, but, yeah, the defense was just just phenomenal. They looked more athletic and obviously they are the more talented unit but I think this was the most complete performance we've seen from this defensive group this season. The defensive backs looked really solid even when um, Denzel Ward was ejected from the game for a pretty bad targeting call but um, there was not really any instances of blown coverages even from Jeffrey Okuda filling in. Um, The safeties looked good. The linebackers looked good. Tough Boyland came in late in the game, looked as good as he usually does with um you know chris worley reclaiming his starting spot back from injury but i really don't have any complaints about the defense they looked they looked really good nick bosa was still just as dominant the freshman looked good um it was it was a great performance
0: yeah maryland had two possessions start inside ohio state's 40 yard line and got nothing out of it so it wasn't like they were just pinning Maryland back and making them drive 80 yards either. The defense had to work out of some really bad spots, and they did a great job. And they did it without Draymond Jones again and Eric Smith, who didn't play. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to get his spot back, whatever the hell is going on with that. But nice to see that the defense, even with injuries and you know suspensions, Michael Hill still is floating off in space somewhere. <laughs> They're still able to go out and dominate. An opponent like that. You brought up Nick Bosa, who is starting to turn into just like what his brother was. He had the strip sack. Uh, Jerome Baker, welcome back to the party, man. He, I thought he had the best game of, uh, of the season. He had a tackle for loss, a sack, and he recovered that strip sack from Bosa and took it to the house for a touchdown. Dante Booker also played really well. He had two tackles for loss, and he had a really nice sack. So I thought all across the board, the defense was uh, was pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I would like to talk about just for a for a quick minute, um, Chase Young, who I believe is eighteen years old, uh, might be the most athletic player on Ohio State's defense, maybe team overall.
0: Yeah, the forced fumble I think is going to get a lot of love, but the play that really stood out to me was um, it was either a fourth down or a third down, and Joel Klatt pointed this out on the replay is that Maryland, they'd either call the quarterback draw or Max Bortenschlager was running up the middle and the middle of the field was wide open and Chase Young, whether it was his assignment or whether he just freestyled it, he went from that defensive end position and shot straight up to the middle of the field and was able to make a play. And the fact that he is only a freshman and you can tell that he's still really raw in a lot of aspects of the game, man he he's gonna be a monster i don't think by next season he's gonna be a monster by the end of this season yeah
1: there was a play and i don't know if this was the one that you were talking about i think this was a passing play um but chase young was lined up at middle linebacker yeah that that was the play right (laughs) there yeah at 6.5 240 pounds chase young can play uh anywhere on the line anywhere at linebacker and seemingly be successful that's um that's really good news for ohio state that he's here for three years um because yeah as you said i don't think it'll even be until next year that this guy is one of the better defensive players in the conference i think he's already pretty close to being there just in terms of his athletic ability and how dominant he is
0: what do you think of the denzel ward hit that he got ejected on
1: i thought that Gus johnson's call of it was phenomenal (laughs) and i don't think he should have been ejected for it um I don't, I don't think it was really targeting. Um, some people called it hitting a defenseless receiver. I think the receiver did have time to kind of adjust, and it seemed like Denzel Ward mostly used his arms.
0: Yeah, people are super-duper upset about that call and our mentions. I, I didn't think it was a great call. Um, I, I can see how you can call it on the field, but the fact that it was confirmed, I think, was worse than the actual call itself. And And I understand making the call for player safety, and it was a huge hit, but... I think by the letter of the law, it seemed pretty clean. What was not clean, though, was Damon Arnett's hit. And the fact that – we talked about it last week with some of these younger players, and I know Arnett's been around the program, but – with these defensive backs in particular, these guys really like to throw their heads out there and shoot themselves around like they're missiles. And I get one to jack somebody up, but Damon Arnett's going to be suspended for the first half of the Nebraska game. And that isn't insignificant. I think that that's a pretty big deal. And, you know, we can bring up why he was even in the game at that point. I don't think that that Made a ton of sense, but uh, Jeffrey Okuda came in and
1: he played pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I thought that I thought that the young defensive backs filling in when when the elder guys got ejected for targeting, which is kind of not a great example to be setting. Um, yeah, I thought the younger guys came in. I thought that they I thought that they did fine. Sean Wade seems to still be hurt, um, so hopefully he can get healthy. I won't imagine that they'll burn a red shirt for the last six games of the season on a freshman uh, when they don't need to, but. Amir Reap looked good. Jeffrey Okuda looked good. Um, they just – this team needs to work on on tackling in the defensive backfield. They need to work on wrapping up. They need to work on form tackling because those, those ejections, while they weren't necessarily – they won't necessarily hurt us against teams like Maryland um, – that that can seriously affect a game against Penn State against Michigan against well maybe not Michigan because I don't think Michigan has receivers that can hurt Ohio State but against a team like Penn State that can seriously hurt a defensive backfield not having a starter and this is not the first time we've seen this from Damon Arnett or you know this defensive backfield in general
0: we know that there's listeners out there that love to complain and I don't think there's anything to complain about really offensively nothing to complain about defensively but let's talk about the special teams. Wow. Oh boy. An (laughs) avalanche of mistakes that kept this game a lot closer than it really was in the first half. That was a mess.
1: Yeah. The special teams were really, really bad. There was a kickoff return for a touchdown. There was a, I want to say a blocked field goal. There was a missed extra point or a fumbled extra point. Uh, punt out of bounds, kickoff out of bounds. It was bad,
0: and a, just a straight up miss field goal by Sean Nuremberger too.
1: Was that the was that the 50 yarder or was that just like a 30 yarder?
0: That was a 40. That was a 47 yarder, I believe, because they were on the 30 yeah. yard line, and I don't I don't think he really shanked it, but he missed it. That's that's not a good sign. I would have preferred, because I think it was a fourth and five. Would have preferred that you go for it there, but I understand working on the kicking game. That's I think a legitimate concern, as it was at the end of last season. But breaking this down, on the surface, I can understand giving up a long kick return to Ty Johnson. He's one of the most explosive players in the country. That really doesn't bother me as much as the fact that this is something we've seen pop up throughout the season. The last couple of weeks, they've been a little bit better, but we saw against Army and we saw against OU and against Indiana that, you know, they their kick coverage isn't what it's been in the past and just the kickoffs themselves have been terrible. That's been two kicks, at least since the army game that have gone out of bounds, the strategy of pinning, pinning uh, the opponent deep into the sideline. I, I just don't think is working right now in, you know, if you want to just give up a touchback, I think that that's a much better option than what they are doing right now because they've been awful covering kicks lately.
1: Yeah, I know that that late in the game, um, they sent in Blake Hobiel, the freshman kicker, to do the to do the kickoffs, and he kicked it into the back of the end zone. And it was touchback. Um, made me kind of made me kind of wonder why he isn't just the kicker at this point because Sean Nurberger yeah. has kind of. I think Sean Nuremberger has shown us what he can do at kicker, and I'm not sure it's particularly good. Um,
0: it's actually not good. No,
1: um, I, I think he can hit. He can hit nine yarders very, very well. But uh, might be time to give might be time to give the freshman a chance.
0: Yeah, we know what we're getting out of Nuremberger, so I'm with you. If, if we can see hobble a little bit and. You know, it's not really a great time for us to be having this discussion right before a primetime game on the road against Nebraska, bye week, and then Penn State. Like, this is if we really want to talk about things we are worried about and that are legitimate concerns right now, I think that that's one because they're better than Nebraska. They should beat Nebraska by at least a couple of touchdowns, but in that environment, you know, they're not always going to score touchdowns. They're going to need to have that club in their bag. And as of right now, they just don't have it, and so that that's scary as we head into this part of the season, but sticking with special teams, you talked about the block kicked, and if you go back and uh, watch some of the extra points from yesterday, there was three or four times where a Maryland player somehow was able to get through Ohio State's blocking on those extra points unscathed. I don't know how they didn't block two or three extra points, but... That was very much concerning, and it's not just the kicking itself, but also what's going on with the blocking there, because they they avoided disaster at least a few times yesterday there.
1: Yeah, a number of times during the game, um, Thayer Munford on the on the line on special teams got kind of just beat. He was the one who got beat on the block, um, and. It's yeah, it's it's concerning this far into a season to see silly special teams mistakes like that, and so many of them. And we really hadn't seen this yet, so it might not be something to to continue to worry about. There haven't been very many special teams issues this year outside of some some lackluster kick coverage, but it still is the kind of thing that needs addressed before you play good teams. And I'm not as concerned about Nebraska as this about Nebraska this season is maybe last season or in the past. Cause I don't think Nebraska is good enough to hang with Maryland, let alone Ohio state. But, um, that is something that Ohio state needs to fix. And that's, you know, urban Meyer has, has claimed the special teams is his own in Columbus. And that might be something that he needs to spend some time looking at.
0: Yeah. Drew Christman, even had a 22 yard punt shanked. It. <laughs> that's, that's our boy right there, Patrick. <laughs> He's letting us down the last few weeks.
1: I think Drew Christman has gotten complacent with us, um, with us loving him so much, we've been think, giving him too much yeah, love. Yeah, we, we need to we need to harden our stance on Drew Chrisman. <laughs> yeah,
0: Drew, Drew, you got to earn it with us for the rest of the season. Now, um, about the only thing that was worth a shit on special teams yesterday was KJ Hill's ability to just catch punts, call for fair catches. He had a couple of short returns, but nice to see that Ohio State still has somebody that can catch punts. Uh, Demario McCall rebounded after a rough punt return game against Rutgers last week. He caught a few punts, so uh, that was probably the best part of special teams. Also, I want to shout out to Paris Campbell, who's been really consistent on kick returns. He had a I think a long of thirty, but he still looks like he's this close to being able to break one. So kick return has also been uh, very consistent for them.
1: Yeah, in the rare case that that the other team gets the chance to kick off, Paris Campbell is almost always taking it to at least the at least thirty five. He's he's really solid returning kicks. Um, he's fun to watch. That that athleticism really pays off in that situation.
0: Do you have any other big takeaways from the game? I know we haven't spent a lot of time talking about yeah the second stringers but it's it's tough to come up with takes every single week when Ohio State's just beating the hell out of these teams
1: i mean i thought it was a i thought it was another solid performance i thought it was another performance that really ohio state did what they were supposed to do possibly even more i mean a 62-14 win over a power 5 school is really impressive even if that school is maryland but maryland beat texas maryland is a a solid team albeit on their fourth string quarterback now which is kind of disappointing that we didn't get to see this game at full strength. But, yeah, um, yeah, I thought Ohio State did what they were supposed to do. Um, they forced turnovers, probably should have forced more than they were actually given. I think that there were two turnovers that stick out in my mind that should have been turnovers that were called back because of either a penalty or because they called it not a turnover. Um, but, I mean, Maryland was one of 15 on third downs. So they only had six first downs on the day. This was just a dominant defensive performance by by Ohio State. The offense was really, really solid. I don't think that there's anything outside of some, some dumb special teams plays for, for Ohio State fans to be upset about.
0: Yeah, agreed. I, I think that the team's in a really nice place right now. And just looking, especially at the defense, Baron Browning led the team in tackles. He's started to get a lot of playing time, and I'm not sure how much that'll continue as Ohio State plays tougher teams, later in the season but uh if that's just a look ahead to uh next year there's going to be a lot of guys on this team and on this defense that i don't think are going to be phased next year because they'll have gotten some significant uh game experience
1: yeah that's i mean i think that that's something that alabama has been doing for years is playing their freshmen in in garbage time because they spend so much time in garbage time so it's really good to see ohio state doing that and getting these young guys in because that's the best way to develop them is in-game action and even if it's times that doesn't really matter in game. I mean, just playing those guys against other teams, playing them against other schemes, letting them get that experience is really helpful.
0: Real quickly, too, before we shift into what happened in the rest of college football, I want to shout out to Jalen Holmes. Jalen Holmes is my favorite player on this Ohio State team. In the last two weeks, he's done a really good job filling in for Draymond Jones in that defensive tackle position. And for a guy that's 270, even when you're going up against the lines of Rutgers and Maryland for him to kind of man the middle like that. He had three tackles, one tackle for loss. He's been awesome. And we don't talk about him enough. And he's going to be a guy that gets drafted within the first three rounds of the NFL draft this season. And he's probably been the most underrated player, I think, in my opinion on the whole team, the last two years. And the fact that he's able to move around to be put into that rushman package to kind of bide his time on the bench and make plays when they need him to, he does a lot of the dirty work that I don't think we realize. So shout out to Jalen Holmes. I appreciate you, Jalen. Yeah.
1: Jalen has some of the best, um, one of the best Twitters on the team is well um really really good dude um one of my favorite players on this team for sure so yeah shout out jaylen holmes
0: okay let's talk about oklahoma <laughs> Let, let's talk about what happened yesterday to oklahoma because i've been hearing in our mentions and on espn and throughout media uh from an ohio state perspective that this loss is actually bad for <laughs> ohio state personally i don't have time for that shit what say you, Patrick?
1: Yeah, the, the Oklahoma loss to Iowa State was actually good as hell. Um, it was great. Yeah, it was it ruled. Um, Iowa State was, I mean, this was not really, obviously this was a, a bit of a fluke in terms of Iowa State's not more talented than Oklahoma, but Iowa State legitimately dominated the lines in this game. They looked like the better team, and this was a classic Mark Stoops not knowing how to call a defense kind of game. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know why Ohio State fans would be upset about this. Like, yes, it it hurts strength of schedule, which is one of the least important things in the world um, because Ohio State lost to a six and six Virginia Tech team and won the championship in the same year. So stop worrying about it. If Ohio State wins out, they'll be in the playoff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is one of those things that makes college football fun. Uh, Iowa State beating Oklahoma for the first time in almost 20 years.
0: Yeah, just getting beyond the fact how awesome it was to watch a 30-point underdog go into Norman and beat OU. That's the big thing I've heard is, well, this hurts Ohio State. It makes Ohio State looks worse. <laughs> and I'm glad you brought that up because let's talk a little bit of playoff history. You already brought up that in 2014, Ohio State lost to an awful Virginia Tech team. They still made the playoff. They won the national championship, folks. In 2015, Oklahoma lost to a Texas team that went five and seven. They still made the playoff. Michigan State, remember that game they lost to Nebraska on the road? Nebraska was five and seven that year. Michigan State still made it to the playoff. And last year, Clemson lost to an eight and four Pitt team. So, please, if if you're going to bring up the strength of schedule thing and it makes Ohio State looks look worse, this OU team at the very worst is going to lose like four games. So if teams can get in losing to six and six or five and seven teams, losing to Oklahoma, isn't the end of the world when it comes to Ohio state's playoff chances. And the, uh, the other thing is, well, if OEU runs the table, you know, they're going to have that win over Ohio state, which I, I think is fair. And if it comes down to that and them against Oklahoma, then yeah, you could see how they'll probably put in Oklahoma. But one, that probably isn't likely because Oklahoma still has Texas this next week and then games at Kansas State, at Oklahoma State, TCU, and then West Virginia, and then if they're able to make it to the Big 12 title game. And it wasn't like Oklahoma was coming into the Iowa State game riding high anyway. They looked really bad against Baylor. So I I think that there's a lot of these – a lot of flaws – in this OU team that people kind of masked over after they beat Ohio state. And I would be hard pressed to believe that they'll go through the rest of the season without another loss. So I think if Ohio state is able to take care of business, like they were at the end of last season, and in 2014, they're going to be just fine.
1: Yeah, Ohio State, Ohio State will be fine. Um, I'm not. Folks, they put an Ohio State team in the playoff
0: over a Penn State team they <laughs> lost to, and who also won the conference. Like, if they went out, they're making the playoff.
1: Yeah, um, I'm not. I'm not particularly concerned about 12 and TCU led by Kenny Hill. Um, I don't. I don't think that four other yeah. conferences will have undefeated teams. So I. I mean, if there's any if there's any team that isn't Oklahoma that's eleven and one compared to Ohio State, Ohio State will get in. That's just the way college football works. And I mean, I hate to break the illusion, but if Ohio State's eleven and one and TCU's eleven and one, Ohio State gets in over TCU.
0: Yeah, and we, we saw that in two thousand fourteen as well. And just a random stat that has nothing to do with anything. This is the seventh straight season that Oklahoma has lost as a double-digit favorite. And that's courtesy of Matt uh, Fortuna on Twitter propose of nothing like we want to complain about bad losses here. <laughs> seven straight seasons that Oklahoma's lost at least one game as a double digit favorite that I think kind of doesn't show you what Oklahoma's program is but at the same time it kind of does.
1: Yeah and speaking of home losses to teams that certain certain people may feel is is inferior perhaps would describe them as a you know maybe like a younger sibling, maybe a maybe a little brother Our um, friends up north did they did some bad they did some bad things last night
0: that game set football back (laughs) at least 30 years but it was beautiful i loved every second of it
1: yeah um every game should have to be played in a monsoon brian kelly agrees with me every game should have to be played in a monsoon and you have to throw 50 passes
0: okay somebody on twitter brought this up to us that that game reminded them of the ohio state michigan state game and i guess i i kind of got it but then looking back on it you know, Michigan doesn't have the weapons that that Ohio State team did, and there was really no reason for Ohio State to lose that game and the way that they played, but in terms of the philosophy and what Michigan was trying to do, none of it made sense. The fact that they were playing with their backup quarterback, who was already shaky with the ball in that game, and then throwing in the rain trying to throw on these rollout p- passes against a Michigan State defense that was just crushing him. None of it made any sense from a Michigan standpoint.
1: Yeah, this might have been... I don't know if it was as funny as Notre Dame throwing the ball 50 times in a in a hurricane last year. This was pretty close to to that level of comedy in game planning. I mean, it was pouring rain, and I don't know if Michigan State just travels with rain wherever they play, but it was pouring rain... Corn is not a good quarterback to begin with Michigan does not have very many good wide receivers I just it seemed like it seemed like they wanted to lose just to see what would happen if they threw the ball 35 times in the monsoon
0: you know that uh you know when you're a kid and you see somebody or maybe you did this to somebody or had somebody do this to you when like you grab somebody's hand and you start hitting them with it and you're like why are you hitting yourself why are you hitting yourself (laughs) that's what the game plan felt like for Michigan State was just like to sit back and just let Michigan hit themselves in the face and just kind of play field position. And that last sequence where Michigan State had the ball and took the holding penalty and had to give the ball back to Michigan, there was a part of me that feels like deep down Mark D'Antonio did that on purpose just so he could show Michigan that that's how you execute A late game punt without the game going to shit, and just to like rub it in just a little
1: bit. Yeah, there was um there was a number of things in this game that were just hysterical because of the history of Michigan football in the last five years or so, including not one but two extremely good spots, like just incredibly the best possible spots, two two great spots in a Michigan football game and a late punt against Michigan State. Yeah, perfect perfect game beautiful 14 to 10 mess ball just what a what a wonderful football game this was
0: <laughs> like let's let's not let michigan state off the hook either because this game was very close to them being a tremendous fail for them with the way that that last drive played out and with the late hit penalty with uh, I forget who it was that dropped that crossing route that would have put Michigan inside the twenty. Like Michigan State, as much as Michigan fucked up and tried to blow this game, Michigan State tried to give it right back to him at the end there.
1: Yeah, I want to say Michigan State had one first down in the second half, like the entire second half, which is they had
0: zero interest in scoring.
1: Imagine this Michigan State team playing like Florida. <laughs> <laughs> in a monsoon that game finishes with negative points
0: and we'll make fun of michigan state right now but i'll tell you as of today i am extremely worried about playing michigan state maybe even more so than playing michigan because they keep no matter how inferior their talent is no matter whether it's on the road or at home they keep playing michigan and ohio state tough and Every year we talk about, oh, well, Michigan State looks like they shouldn't stand a chance. And every single year they give both of these teams their money's worth. And so uh, that's definitely not a game to, uh, to skim over because no matter how bad they look or how inept the offense looks, like you said when we were previewing this on my podcast, they're always going to play up to their level of competition, especially in games like this.
1: Yeah, that. Um, I don't know when that game will be. I don't know if it's been announced, um, if that'll be a day game or a night game, but I don't think it really matters if that's some crappy nooner or if that's like an 8 p.m. primetime game for some reason. It'll be just the worst possible outcome regardless. Um, it'll be like, like it was last year, like 17, 16, and just miserable. It'll be like just snow everywhere just I mean that's coming off a game at Iowa um then Penn State the week before that that's just oof that is that's rough that's rough to think about
0: yeah I'm very curious to see where Michigan goes from here too I'm pulling up their uh their schedule right now it looks like Wilton Spate is going to be out for the year he has three broken vertebrae in his back that's pretty it's Michigan but that's pretty awful to hear sorry to hear that about Wilton Spate, hopefully he's able to make a recovery because that sounds like a pretty serious injury. But in the next couple of weeks, they play on the road at Indiana and then at Penn State. And with the way their offense is playing right now, especially against Penn State, uh, that may be low scoring. Their defense is going to be able to keep them in the game. But with the receiver play you mentioned, with John O'Corn and with kind of just their play calling and how they're running the offense right now, Michigan's in a really bad spot.
1: Yeah, this is something that I've um, something that I've talked about a little bit on Twitter. Uh, but looking at this, looking at this schedule, they have at Penn State, at Wisconsin, at Ohio State still left on the schedule, and that's not even to mention the chaos that could be Minnesota at Maryland. I mean, this is not the only game that I think is a sure win left on the schedule is against Rutgers at home. Um, but Indiana can get weird, Minnesota can get weird. But I've been. Kind of, kind of looking at the, the way that Michigan's performed under Jim Harbaugh, is he John Cooper? Is he just weird John Cooper? Because I feel like he might just be weird John Cooper.
0: I think we have to wait till after this season to kind of get a, a read on that. But that's I, that's a good point because, you know, it is it has to be concerning if you're a Michigan fan that they've lost to Michigan State in three years twice, and both of those losses have come at home. And I know that the first one was basically an act of God, but that was a Michigan State team that Michigan should have beaten, and that shouldn't have been a game. And This Michigan team is so young, and I I think that they'll be better by the end of the season than they are now, but a lot of their issues coming into the year, people talked about the youth of the team, and that's fair, but I, I think a lot of it isn't either. I think a lot of it is structural, and the way that they play these games the way that they kind of manage these late game situations it's becoming a trend and we'll have to see how they look against indiana and against penn state and then late in the season against wisconsin and ohio state but it's hard to see how they're not losing at least two more games with, with the rest of this schedule and how it plays out
1: yeah and then michigan fans for some reason are going to call for jim harbaugh to be fired which it's not happening <laughs> they're not going to fire no jim harbaugh. yeah that's that's yeah, fire Jim Harbaugh. Hire John Gruden. No.
0: That Indianapolis Colts job may come open this year. Chance to coach yeah. Andrew Luck. Who yeah. who knows? Jim Harbaugh hasn't Yeah, it. watch everybody watch out. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh hasn't stayed uh very long wherever he's been, so but I but I don't think uh really that's anything to uh to worry about if you're a Michigan fan but from our perspective as Ohio State fans it's excellent that we are even having this discussion because I, I thought that Michigan would be much more rel- well rounded as we got to the middle point of the season but uh they- they've struggled the last couple of weeks and against some tougher teams the next two weeks they may lose both of those games.
1: Yeah, if Michigan loses to Indiana, Crimson Quarry just gets to take over MGO Blog. That's the <laughs> rules.
0: Well, Michigan has already turned into corn cobs, I think, and with yeah. John O'Corn manning the helm for the rest of the season, uh, I'm very interested interested to see what their offense does. Before we wrap up here, do you have any other big takeaways from college football this week?
1: It was a great week in college football. There was no there was no big headliner games, but there was some there was some really fun games all around the country. Um, we saw some teams. And we've talked about these. Obviously, we saw some teams lose some some games to maybe maybe teams they shouldn't lose to. Some ranked teams go down. Ohio State, I want to say, moved up in the AP poll. Um, it's a good week to be a Buckeye. Any game, anytime there's a win, big win. It's a good week to be a Buckeye.
0: I feel like uh, this is the first week where the season really picked up. Where it's like, okay, it's here. Where this is not that it's the stretch run, but like every week some shit's going to happen, something's going to go down, and I, I know people want to Ohio State to just beat the hell out of every team they play, but you look back at that Oklahoma game, 30-point favorites and you lose at home, anything can happen in college football, and I, I feel like we're at the point of the year where everybody's in conference now, and you're at the part of the season where it's just, you need to win every single week, and yeah, you want to look impressive while you're doing it, you want to win by double digits, but... You just have to win, and you have to advance.
1: Yep, style points don't matter in a Waffle House street fight. No, no, not at all. Just win. Don't don't let the
0: other guy kill you. That's all you need. <laughs> I think that that's probably a good place for us to wrap it wrap up here. About fifty minutes, we gave you guys a fifty minute podcast about the Ohio State Maryland game. If you liked it, please make sure to go on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast. Search the Hangout in the Holy Land. There's two of them up there. I'm trying to get rid of the other one. Apple and iTunes are being real stubborn about it, but click on the one that has the most recent episodes. Be sure to leave a review it, and leave some feedback about what we can do to make this podcast better. Also, go to soundcloud.com slash Find this episode and all the other old episodes there as well. And follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. Also, follow the website by going to LandGrantHolyLand.com. If you want to follow me and any of my takes on Ohio State football, which I don't really recommend, you hear enough of me on this podcast, but if you want to, you can do so by following me at DubsCo. Patrick, where can they find you?
1: You can follow me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, spelled how it sounds. Last night I was up until three watching Utah Stanford. So if you if that's the kind of content you crave, um, you can go ahead and just delete Twitter because no one should crave that <laughs> content.
0: That's the kind of content the people need. And the people want and they get right here from their hosts on the Hangout in the Holy Land. Until next time, we want to thank you guys for listening. For Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. Go Bucks.